What's better is one day in your courts than thousands elsewhere. You're listening to an audio teaching from Cross Connection Church Houston. We're a small church located in Pasadena, Texas, and it is our mission to save the lost, equip the saved, serve both the lost and saved, and to send the equipped. To this end, we teach through the Bible on a verse-by-verse basis, starting at the beginning of a book and working until the end. If you would like to learn more about our church, you can find us at connectedtojesus.org or check us out on Facebook at Cross Connection Church Houston. We pray that this teaching would grow you in the grace and love of Jesus Christ our Lord. This morning we are going to start the final section that we have here in the book of Colossians. We've looked at uh, chapter 1, which deals with the doctrine of Jesus' supremacy and sufficiency, and it's declared in six very important things that we looked at. And then in chapter 2, we saw the dangers that were coming against Jesus' supremacy and sufficiency, and, and Paul addressed three specific dangers that we need to be aware of and warned against. And now we're going to look at this final section, which deals with our duty. The duty that we have in light of Jesus' supremacy and sufficiency. And so chapters 3 and 4, Paul's going to deal with a lot of practical things that we need to do. You know, now that we've looked at doctrine and we've looked at false doctrine, now we're going to look at the way in which we should live our lives for Jesus Christ. And so uh, this is a very practical section, a very applicable section for us, just revealing to us the way in which we behave is influenced by what we believe. And so we've seen this doctrine, and now we need to recognize how do we put that into practice and live it out in our lives. And so this is going to be demonstrated in six main areas of our lives. Uh, six practical things that, that Paul is going to focus on and address. Uh, we're going to look at our personal lives. We're going to look at in our fellowship with other believers and family relationships that we have in our workplace, in our witness to those who are lost, and finally in our service to the Lord. And so as you can see with these six things, it really covers the main things of our lives, some of the most vital and important things that we have that we really need to recognize and live the way that God desires us to live in these areas. And so this morning, we're going to start with this first challenge that Paul gives uh, concerning our personal lives. And Paul's going to focus on two things here in this first challenge. First, what we put on in our personal life. And, And Paul's going to be specific of the things that we need to be doing as followers of Christ. And then he's going to talk about things that we put off things that we avoid, things that we stop doing once we become followers of Christ. And so what we're going to do is break this up into two different teachings. This morning, we're going to be focusing on what we should be doing. And then next week, we're going to focus on what we should avoid doing. And so we're going to start with just the first four verses of Colossians 3 this morning, focusing on these specific things. Paul's going to deal with four specific things that we should do as followers of Christ. Let's see what he has to share with us. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth, for you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. 
So Paul starts off really with a very important statement that kind of sets the stage for these next four things that he's going to share with us. The statement is, if then you were raised with Christ. Now, if you remember in chapter two, Paul dealt with this reality of our connection with Jesus's resurrection. Let me remind you what he said in verses 12 and 13. Buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. And you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven all your trespasses. So before we accepted Christ, you and I, we were dead in our sins. We were living for sin. We were dead to it. We were slaves of it. But when we accepted Christ, we were forgiven. Forgiven of the sins that we committed and we died to them. Just like Jesus died for us, we ultimately died to those sins. But the great thing is, as Jesus rose from the dead, we were also risen. We have that connection with Jesus that we're dead to the old life of sin and now we've been risen to live a new life, a changed life, a different life from the way in which we lived before you and I placed our faith in Jesus. And so Paul is saying in chapter 2, hey, if you place your faith in Jesus, then you're raised with Christ. And then here in chapter 3, he says, if then you were raised with Christ. For if you were one of those people who placed your faith in Jesus, then there's good news. You've been raised with him to live a different way. And so he starts with this premise of, if that's you, Colossian believers, or if that's you here this morning, you've accepted Jesus Christ, then there's a wonderful reality. You've been raised to newness of life. But that should impact the way in which you live. The reality that you've been risen with Jesus Christ shouldn't just be some thought in your mind. It should be something that changes the way in which you live. And so that's the premise that Paul then goes into these four areas. Because of this reality that we've been raised with Christ, it should impact four specific areas of our life. Paul says something very similar to this in Romans 6.4. Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so, we also should walk in newness of life. That's what the Lord wants for us. And so Paul's going to be focusing on four specific things that we need to do because of the fact that we have been raised with Christ. Four changes that are going to happen in our life. The first change is a new direction. The second change is a new mind, the third change is a new life, and the fourth change is a new hope. And so we're going to look at these four things this morning. The first thing that Paul tells us in verse 1 is, Seek those things which are above where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. The first change that you and I need after we put our faith in Jesus Christ is we need a new direction in the way in which our life is going. And what really influences our direction and the direction that we go is what we seek. What we seek will influence the direction of our life. The Greek word translated seek means to seek in order to find, to intensely search for something, to strive after, to try and obtain. 
And the way that this Greek word is used here speaks of a continual action. So Paul's not saying, you know what, you need to seek something just once. He's saying this is something that you need to continue to do. So it should be actually more literally translated, keep seeking this thing. And Paul wants us to keep seeking those things which are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. So the things that we should be seeking for, the things that we should be striving after, the things that we should be trying to obtain are the things of heaven where Christ is at. Now notice the interesting connection here that we have with Jesus, this picture that Paul has been painting and continues to paint of this connection that we have. We already looked at the connection of Jesus' death that we have with that, how we die to our sin. We also have the connection of Jesus' resurrection, how we are raised from that kind of life and we have a new life to live for the Lord. But you know what? After Jesus died, three days later he was risen, and then 40 days later he ascended back to heaven, and now he sits at the right hand of the Father. And Paul is connecting all of this to us, not just the death, not just the resurrection, but the reality of the ascension of Jesus and his now return to heaven is so important for us to recognize we are connected to as well. You see, there's really kind of two main ways that Jesus' ascension is connected to us. The first way is which we're going to look at in verse 4 of this hope. The hope that we will go to heaven as well. That Jesus ascended back, he's there right now, and we have a hope that when we die, that's where we're headed. But there's another aspect to uh, this connection with Jesus' ascension to heaven, and that's the reality that, hey, because we're connected to Jesus, we're connected to where Jesus is. You know, that, that, that connection isn't severed because he left earth and went to heaven. It just now leads us to, to where he is. And so as Paul is speaking of the fact that since you were raised with Christ and Christ now after he raised went to heaven, guess what we should be seeking after? We should be seeking after those things that are in heaven with Christ. Those things that we seek should follow him because of the connection that we have with him. We shouldn't be focused on the things of this earth any longer. We should now be focused on the things of heaven where Jesus is because of the connection that we have with him now that we have placed our faith in him. So the first change that needs to happen in our lives because we accepted Christ is we need this new direction in the things that we seek. You see, before we accepted Jesus, we just sought the things of this earth sought the things that would benefit us. We were very selfish. We were very sinful. Those were the things that we sought after. Those are the things that we pursued. Those are the things that we searched for. Those are the things that we desired. But once we put our trust in Jesus Christ, that needs to change. What we're seeking should change. And this is what Paul is challenging us with, is that connection to Jesus, the relationship we now have, should influence and impact the things in which we seek. Jesus shares something very similar in Matthew chapter 6, verses 31 through 33. Therefore do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Jesus said, hey, don't worry about what you're going to eat, 
what you're going to wear, what you're going to drink, you know, these practical things of life. That's what the ungodly are worried about. That's what they're seeking. That's what their life's all about. I just want to get the things that this life has to offer. Jesus says, you know, don't worry about that. Don't seek those things. Here's what you should seek first. Here's what should be the first priority of the things that you are seeking. Seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first his righteousness, or as Paul puts it, seek first the things of heaven where Christ is. That's what we should be seeking after. And notice the wonderful promise that Jesus brings after that. Oh, Lord, if I seek first the kingdom of God, if I seek first what you have, how am I going to get these practical things that I need, like what I eat and what I wear and what I drink? I mean, who's going to take care of that? God says, I will. Seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to you. These practical things that you're living for and seeking, you know what? Leave them with me. Seek me. Live for me and I'll take care of that stuff. You don't have to seek it out. You don't have to search it anymore. I will deal with that as long as you just put me first and seek the things that I want you to seek. You know, when I think of the word seek, to intensely search for something, to try to obtain it. I think of treasure. You know, we have all sorts of books and movies and, you know, these treasure hunts and, and people love to search out and seek after and they're intense and they're trying to find treasure. But you know what? There are two main types of treasure that we can seek after, that we can search for. There are treasures here on this earth, the ones that maybe we think of in a chest full of gold and rubies and diamonds and whatever it may be. But there's also heavenly treasures. And we have to ask ourselves, which one is more valuable? Which one is it that we're truly seeking after? The things that we can get here on this earth, those treasures, or the treasures that we have in heaven? Well, Jesus tells us which ones are more valuable, which ones that we should be pursuing. Matthew 6, 19 through 21, Jesus says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Notice Jesus says, hey, don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Why? Because they're temporary. They can be destroyed. They can be taken from you. Instead, lay up treasures in heaven because they will last forever. No one's taken them from you. They will never be destroyed. They're yours for all of eternity. And he says, when you balance those two out, well, which is more valuable, the one that lasts forever or the one that's temporal? And even in this life, that's short. We don't have it for the whole life. It can rust. It can fade away. It can be stolen. But something important to understand that Jesus also reveals to us is where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What you treasure reveals where your heart is because your heart always follows what you treasure most. So you can't treasure one thing and have a heart for something else. And this is the struggle that we have as Christians so often because we think, you know what? I can search for and seek after the treasures of this earth and this world and still have a heart for God. We want our cake and eat it too. We think how wonderful it would be to have all the treasures here and to have what we want with the Lord. But it doesn't work that way. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 24, 
No one can serve two masters, for he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon, speaking of money or possessions. You know, many Christians deceive themselves into thinking that they can treasure, they can pursue the things of the world and still have a heart for God. But it doesn't work that way. Your heart will always follow what you treasure. What you treasure most is what you're going to seek after most. And it's where your heart truly is. So when you're seeking after the treasures of this world instead of the treasures of heaven, your heart's going to be there. It's going to be for these things. And it's going to bring lots of problems. But when your heart is after God and you want the treasures of the things of God, you're going to seek after those things and what a blessing it will be. But, you know, what does that mean to, to seek the things in heaven? You know, what are we seeking? You know, John Lightfoot, he gives a great answer, I think, to this question. Practically, to seek the things above involves giving your attention to Jesus, giving him first place in everything, giving him priority, desiring him above anything on earth, continually making a deliberate choice to follow him, to obey him, to think about him, to meditate on his life-giving word in order to find him. We are not to be seeking heavenly geography, but the one who dwells there. Yeah, I agree with what John Lightfoot's speaking of here. It's not like we're seeking heavenly things, like we're trying to seek heavenly geography. We just got to seek the things that are kind of up north somewhere in the clouds. No, it's not speaking of that. Ultimately, we're seeking the one who dwells there, the one that makes heaven heaven, which is Jesus Christ himself. That is the thing that we should ultimately be seeking out seeking to live for, seeking his will, seeking to obey him, to please him, to become more like him. But the question we need to ask ourselves is, what are we seeking? Are we seeking the things of this world? Or are we seeking the things of God? You know, if you want to do a simple test to determine what you're seeking, check your bank account and check your calendar. Because how you spend your money and how you spend your time will help you see what you're truly seeking. We sometimes deceive ourselves. We sometimes convince ourselves, oh, I'm seeking the things of God. I'm seeking what he has for my life. But when you examine your life and how you spend your time and how you spend your money and how you use your talents, oftentimes you come to the conclusion, well, actually, I'm not seeking God. I'm seeking my own pleasures. I'm seeking what I desire. I'm seeking these things of the world. It's seen in what I spend my money on. It's seen in how I devote my time. It's seen in, in what I use my talents that God has given me towards. It's been said that we live in a world that knows the cost of everything but the value of nothing. And I think that's such a true statement. This world doesn't understand what true value is. We're told that even our lives have no value. We're just random accidents that have happened, you know, because of this, you know, evolutionary system, that there's no real value in us. There's no real value in the things that God says true value lies. And we get caught up in that. We get caught up pursuing things that don't really have any true value, and we start seeking them. And it never ends well. So the first way our life should change since we've been raised with Christ is we need a new direction that seeks the things of Christ, not the things of of this world. 
What you seek after is going to greatly influence the direction of your life. And I talk to so many Christians, and, and in sincerity, they just say, I want Jesus' direction, his will. I want him to direct me. I want to follow what he has for my life. But the sad reality is they're not willing to seek him. And they think, I can seek the things of this world and still be directed to the things of God. It doesn't work that way. You want God's direction? Seek him. That's what's ultimately going to impact and influence the direction of your life. The second way our life should change since we've been raised with Christ is in verse 2. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. The second thing that should change in our life is what we set our mind on. The Greek word here translated set means to fix firmly, to become permanent, to solidify. We would say, let the concrete set. It goes in there liquid, just let it set, and then it's going to get firm, it's going to get hard, it's going to be fixed in place. Paul is saying that our minds need to be firmly fixed, permanently focused on things above, on heavenly things, not on earthly things. Paul's basically giving us the same challenge he just did, but focusing on a different aspect of our life. He starts with, hey, Seek the things of God, not the things of the earth. Now he's saying our minds need to be set on the things of God, not on the things of this earth. Since we've been raised with Christ, we need a new mind. A new mind that's focused on Jesus Christ and not all the things of this world. Now something we need to understand is that our minds are the starting point for everything we do. Before you act, you think about it. Before you act, you make a choice to act. It starts in the mind, and so our mind is a very important thing. What we think about impacts what we do, how we live, how we act. And so if we're thinking constantly about the things of the world, guess what? We're going to start living out those things, how we dwell, what we dwell upon, what we allow our minds to focus on will influence the way in which we live our lives. It's like when someone first falls in love. Their thoughts are continually focused on the person that they love. They think about that person throughout the day. Before they go to bed, they're still thinking about that person. Whenever they have a free moment, they want to be with the one they love. And after spending a whole day together talking with one another, they leave each other. And what's the first thing they do? They get on the phone and they spend a few more hours talking before they go to bed. There's just this sense of like, I want my mind set on you. I mean, I don't even have to think about it. You're just there. You're on my mind all the time. Why? Because I love you so much. But the same thing should be true with our relationship with Jesus. It shouldn't be this chore that I have to get my mind focused on Jesus. I mean, it should be something, I love him. Because he loves me more than anybody. He sacrificed himself for me in my most wretched, horrible state. It should be just this response of, I just think of Jesus all the time. I want to spend time with him whenever I can. It's a privilege. It's not some duty I have to do. It's a privilege I get to do. The creator of heaven and earth wants a relationship with me. John MacArthur wrote this. The believer's whole disposition should orient itself towards heaven, just as a compass needle orients itself towards the north. To be preoccupied with heaven is to be preoccupied with the one who reigns there and his purposes, plans, provisions, and power. 
But let's face it, this is often not our experience. We have things turned upside down. Our focus is on our next appointment, our next purchase, our next promotion, our physical bodies, our material possessions, our bank accounts. We have it backwards, and this is why Paul gives us this command. Our thoughts should be preoccupied and focused on Jesus. But so often, that's just not the case. So often, our thoughts are consumed with ourselves, consumed with the things of this world, and we completely miss what true, valuable things we should have our minds focused on. Now, don't miss what Paul's saying here. It's not mean that we should never think about things of the earth. You know, when you're driving, don't pay attention. When people are talking to you, don't listen. You know, it's not that we're totally, you know, our minds shouldn't be connected at all to this earth. He's ultimately bringing, just like Jesus with the last one, seek first the kingdom of God. Let your mind first be on those things of the Lord. Let that be the aim. Let that be the focus. Let that be the master. The problem is we reverse it. And it's like the, the things of this world are the master of the focus or the aim and often the idol of our life. And we dwell upon them and we think upon them. And maybe if we have a little time before we go to bed or maybe a little time before we eat a meal, we might think about God and throw up a prayer to him, but he's not on the forefront of our mind. And so Paul's wanting us to recognize that shouldn't be the way that it is. Charles Spurgeon wrote something very convicting. Many of you know more about your magazines and novels than what God has written. Many of you will read a novel from beginning to the end, and what you have got, a head of, full of froth when you're done. But you cannot read the Bible. The solid, lasting, substantial, and satisfying food goes uneaten, locked up in the cupboard of neglect, while anything that man writes, a bestseller of the day, you greedily devour. Or maybe more in our culture today that doesn't read as much as they did back then. You know more about movies and TV shows and what's happening on social media than you do about the Word of God. You can spend hours binge-watching Netflix, but not minutes reading God's Word. What's the problem when we get to this place? This is a convicting statement because we recognize that we struggle in this area. That God's Word is not the priority for our minds that it should be. John Bunyan, in his book, Pilgrim's Progress, he writes of a man who looked no way but downward. And this poor man, he's on his knees, he's in the dirt, he has this rake, and he's searching for treasure. And the whole time he's there, the Lord above him, with this bright crown of immeasurable worth, is just hanging it out there. The guy never looks up. It's there all the time, what's truly valuable, and he's in the mud with his rake trying to find treasure. And John Bunyan writes this about this character. There stood one over his head with a celestial crown in his hand and offered him that crown for his muckrake. But the man never looked up. As he continued gathering himself the straw, the small sticks, and the dust of the floor. Now whereas it was also shown thee that the man could look no way but downwards. It is to let thee know the earthly things when they are with power upon men's minds, quite carry their hearts away from God. Then said Christian, oh, deliver me from this muckrake. We're so often like this character that John Bunyan describes. We get so distracted by looking at the things of this earth that we miss something so much better, that we miss what God has for us. 
We need to look up. We need to set our minds on heavenly things, on the things of Jesus, not on this earth. Well, well, that's nice to know, but, but what do we practically do to make that happen? I think one very important practical thing is we got to be very careful with what we allow into our minds. That's the battleground. That's so important. We got to be careful with what we watch, what we listen to, who we listen to, what we read. We need to, we need to be careful, not just to, hey, you know what, just let anything go into my mind. Let me, you know, experience, watch, you know, it doesn't matter. No, it does matter. It does influence us. And so we have to protect our minds from things that we shouldn't be putting in there, but we also need to fill our minds with the things that it needs, the things of the word of God, the things that are, are vital for its spiritual enrichment and growth. Philippians 4.8 tells us some great things to set our minds on. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. To meditate, to, to dwell upon, to, to focus your mind on, look at this list. This is a great thing to set your mind on. Things that are true, noble, just, pure, lovely, good, virtuous, and praiseworthy. If it fits in that list, great. Bring it in. Allow your mind to dwell upon it. Meditate on that. But so often, it's the opposite of this list that we allow into our mind, that we focus on, that we dwell upon. Now, I know there are certain things that we can't avoid. There are certain things that, you know, just because we live in a sinful world, we're going to see, we're going to experience. And that's, you know, just a reality of that life that we live here. I'm talking about when we are purposefully allowing things into our mind, that we have a choice of how we're going to spend our time, of what we're going to surf on the web, of what we're going to watch, of what we're going to read, what we're going to listen to. It's at those times that we really need to be careful. What is it that I'm putting in my mind? And what kind of benefit does it have for me? The second way our life should change since we've been raised with Christ is we need a new mind that is set on the things of Christ, not on the things of this world. There is a huge battle that's constantly coming against our minds, against the way we think, against what we believe. And if we want to believe what is true, we must set our minds on the things of Jesus and his word. The third way our life should change since we have been raised with Christ is in verse 3. It says this, For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Once again, just like he started, he gives us reminder, and it's a great reminder because it's something that we so often forget. We're dead to our old life. We died to it. But so often we want to resurrect it. We're down there doing CPR on our dead life. We, we want it to come back. We want those things that we used to live for, you know, that we remember so fondly. It, it, we're dead to that. And so Paul, once again, he, he reminds us of the deadness of the old life to help us see now there's something new. You're dead to what you were, but the great news is now you get to be new. You have a new life and it should change the way in which you live. The third thing that needed to change for us is we needed a new life, and you and I have that new life in Jesus. Jesus is our life. Paul came to understand this wonderful truth, and it drastically changed how he lived. When he recognized this reality that Jesus is my life, 
Wow, did it make an impact. He speaks of it in Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. When you and I accepted Christ, we died to our old life and now Christ lives in us. And the life we now live on this earth, we should live for Jesus. That's who we should be living for. Our new life is a life that's meant to be lived for Jesus Christ. The life we now live, it's not about me anymore. It's not about what I can get anymore. It's not about the the things that I can indulge in, the pleasures that I can fulfill in my life. Life now should be living for Jesus. You know, sometimes it's said of someone, music is his life or sports is his life. For the younger generation, video games are their life. He lives for his work. Each one of those statements are declaring what a person lives for, what's most important to them. And the reason people will say things like sports are his life is because when they look at their life, they realize you're consumed by sports. You're always watching sports. You're going to sporting events. You're listening to sports radio. You regularly hang out with people who support the same team that you support. You're constantly posting about your team on social media. You wear clothing with the logo and the name of your team all the time. It's pretty evident by the way in which you live that sports is your life. Now, when people look at your life as a Christian, would they say of you, Jesus is your life? Looking at your life, looking at how you live, would that be what they see? Would that be what they conclude? Now, when people look at your life, does what you post on social media lead people to conclusion that Jesus is your life? Does what you watch and listen to lead people to the conclusion that Jesus is your life? Does who you spend time with lead people to the conclusion that Jesus is your life? Does how you spend your time lead people to the conclusion that Jesus is your life? You know, when you look at the life of Paul, who made this very powerful statement, you would conclude Jesus is his life. You see it in his words. You see it in his actions. You see it in his pursuits. You see it in what he was willing to sacrifice and what he was willing to go through. You look at Paul's life, and most people looking just from the outside in would say, yes, this guy, Jesus is his life. That's what he's living for. But the question I want you to ask yourself is when people look at my life, would they say that Jesus is my life? Are you living in such a way that it's clear, that it's obvious that Jesus is the one you live for? Now, if people only saw you on Sunday here at church, I'm sure they might conclude, oh yeah, Jesus is your life. But would they come to that same conclusion if they looked at your life the rest of the week? Would they conclude Jesus of your life if they looked in your marriage, your parenting, your relationships, how you conduct yourself at work, at school, what you post, your interaction with others? Would that be the conclusion that they would come to? Oh, yes, in every area of your life, whew, you live for Jesus. And if you're thinking, well, no, I know in this area they surely wouldn't say it, and definitely not in that one. We shouldn't just be content with that. We shouldn't just say, oh, well, 
I don't live for Jesus here. We say, Lord, I want to change. I need help to change. I want every area of my life to ultimately be lived for you. 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 15 tells us this. For the love of Christ compels us because we judge thus, that if one died for all, then all died. And if he died for all, then those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. You know, you look at Paul's life, what is it that motivated him? How did he go for this guy who just gave his life to Jesus, lived for Jesus, suffered for Jesus, was imprisoned for Jesus, died for Jesus? What gave him that motivation? He says it right here, the love of Christ compels us. That should be the compelling thing. That should be the motivating thing. That should be the thing that, that drives me to live for him. What he did for me, the love that he showed to me by sacrificing himself for my sins, by taking the judgment that I deserve. That should be all that's necessary for me to say, I'm living for him. Because of his love for me, I'm going to respond with living a life for him. So the third way our life should change since we have been raised with Christ is we need a new life that lives for Christ, not the things of this world. Man, we are being bombarded. The rise of just technology and what we have at our fingertips has really just made the temptation even harder of the things of this world that are seeking to draw us away to live after them. But you know what? They're fleeting. They're empty. They have no eternal value to them. And so if you want to live for what truly matters, if you want to make an eternal impact on lives of others, live for Jesus. The fourth and final way our lives should change since we have been raised with Christ is in verse 4. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Paul's been revealing to us what we should do because of the connection that we have with Jesus' death, with Jesus' resurrection, with Jesus' ascension. But now he brings in a new thing that we're connected to Jesus with, a fourth thing. The first three things are things of the past. We're looking back to Jesus' death. We're looking back to Jesus' resurrection. We're looking back to the ascension of Jesus to heaven. But what he brings up is something that still is yet to happen. It's a future event. The event that Paul is referring here to is the second coming of Jesus Christ. After Jesus rose from the dead, he ascended to heaven. And you know what? As he went, he got a new, glorified, heavenly body. And the great news is that he's coming back, coming back to this earth. And the next time he comes to this earth, he is going to have his glorified, heavenly body. And this is what Paul speaks of when he says, when Christ, who is our life, appears. Speaking of the appearance that he comes, when he comes back in his new glorified body of the second coming, when he appears. But you know what? There's something wonderful when he comes back, people are coming with him. And those people are going to be believers, you and I. And guess what? We're going to have new glorified bodies as well. 
That's what Paul is speaking of when he says, then you will also appear with him in glory. And we're going to join Jesus in his second coming as he leads the way in his new glorified body coming back to this earth to rule and reign for a thousand years. But we will also come in our glorified bodies and join him. You see, when we go to heaven, guess what? We get great news. We get to trade in these fleshly bodies that we have and we get a wonderful new upgrade. Philippians 3, 20 and 21 says, For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body, that it may be conformed to his glorious body, according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. Once we accepted Christ, guess what? Our citizenship changed. We're no longer citizens of earth. We're now citizens of heaven. And that should change everything for us. That's our true home. That's our ultimate destination. That's where we're going to spend all of eternity. And so the the 60, 70, 80, 90 years of life here in comparison to eternity, as the Bible says, is just like a blink of an eye. It's so quick, so fast, but yet we live like it's everything. We know what's really everything is eternity. And the reality is that this truth, it brings a change to us. After accepting Jesus, we should have a new hope. The word hope means a confident expectation of coming good. And our hope, the confidence that we should have, the expectation of coming good is that we're going to heaven. When we die, this doesn't just end. When we die, we don't spend eternity in hell. When we die, we have the wonderful reward of eternity in heaven. And the Bible has some great things to share with us about heaven, where it's a place where there's no more sadness, where there's no more pain, where there's no more tears, where there's no more suffering. But you know what? There's another great thing about heaven. And that's the fact that we don't have to go there with the bodies we have now. We get to trade in these bodies that are full of sickness, that are full of disease, that are full of aches and pains, and we get an amazing new glorified body that's never going to have sickness, it's never going to have disease, it's never going to have aches, it's never going to have pains, and we never lose it. It's going to be something that's going to be ours for all of eternity. Now, the hope that Jesus is going to return and the hope that we are going to live in heaven, that should impact what we seek. It should impact what our minds are set upon. It should impact the way in which we live our life here on this earth. Since heaven is where our true home is, since heaven is where we're going to spend all eternity, you know what, let's start living for heaven now. Why wait till we get there? Start living now. And something that the Bible reveals to us, which is kind of mind-boggling, is actually what we do in this life influences our eternity in a drastic way. The rewards that we get in eternity are based on what we do for Jesus now. Our salvation that is for eternity is based on whether or not we choose to accept Jesus in this life now. What we have in this short period of time has such a huge eternal reward or eternal consequence. But yet we get so caught up in living for what doesn't really matter. 
We get so caught up on the things of this earth and and living for what this world says we should be focused on and and pursuing and engaged in that we miss, man, there is something far better. There is something far greater. There is a place that I'm going to spend all of eternity and how I live in this life is going to influence that and how I live in this life is going to influence others that might also get to be blessed with eternity. And if I don't influence them and I don't share the gospel with them, they might be going to spend eternity in hell. Let's seek the things of heaven. Set our minds on the things of heaven. Live for the things of heaven now while we're on the earth. You know, many people put a lot of time, a lot of money, a lot of effort into preparing for their retirement. They work hard. They put away lots of money. They make lots of sacrifices. Why? So that when they get to that retirement age, they can enjoy the fruits of their labor. There's nothing wrong with that. I think it's wise to be thinking of the future. But you know what? Sometimes it just ends. Like the the future is, you know, from 65 to 85, and that's it. No, there's a future far beyond that. For us as believers, it doesn't end when we die. We have eternity. And there's so many people who are willing to invest so much in a retirement that lasts for 10 to 20 years and nothing in the true retirement that matters, the one that lasts for all eternity in heaven. That I'll store up money, I'll put it away, I'll make sacrifices now, I won't go do and indulge in some of these vacations and things so that I can put it away in my 401k or so that I can put it here or there so that when I reach 65, I'm going to be set. And if we're willing to do that so that we can have more financial benefits for when we retire, how much more should we say, you know what, I'm going to live for the things of eternity now. I'm going to be storing up treasures in heaven, not on this earth, so that when the true retirement comes and I stand before Jesus Christ, I get to hear the wonderful words, well done, good and faithful servant. When you really think about the eternal rewards and eternal ramifications. You start to see how foolish it is when we squander that by living for ourselves and the things of this world. Oswald Chambers wrote this, God nowhere tells us to give up things for the sake of giving them up. He tells us to give them up for the sake of the only thing worth having, life with himself. And I think this is the thing that we miss. Oh, Lord, you're so mean. You're wanting me to give this up. And this is such a wonderful thing. The world keeps telling me how great it's going to be. And if I just have it, it'll just meet all my needs. He's like, no, no, no. I'm telling you to give this up for something that means so much more, that is so much more valuable. Life with me. The hope that we have that one day we're going to see Jesus face to face. That should impact us. That should impact the way we live. It's been said, life without, with Christ is an endless hope, but life without him is a hopeless end. That's where the world is. Sometimes we get sucked into their beliefs. And we need to realize, really, hope, what's truly worth living for, what truly has value, what truly brings peace and satisfaction is living for Jesus Christ. Everything else is just a counterfeit. If today was the day that you died, 
right after this teaching, you're standing before Jesus. Would you be happy with the way in which you're living? Would you be ashamed of the way in which you're living? Or would you be confident going in and say, you know what, Lord, I've been just living for you. 1 John 2.28. And now, little children, abide in him that when he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. What a great challenge. Paul recognized, or John says, hey, he's coming. You need to abide in him, live for him. Why? So that when he does come, you're not going to be ashamed. You can be confident. You could be expecting it. You could be desiring it. Lord Jesus, come. I'm ready. I'm living for you. I can't wait to see you face to face as opposed to, you know what? Just wait up. Uh, I got some things that I want to indulge in for a while. Uh, I got some of this worldly stuff that I want to live for. Don't come back now. It'll be a little embarrassing if you see what I'm doing. That shouldn't be us. The fourth way our life should change since we've been raised for Christ. We need a new hope of our eternity in heaven that impacts our life here on earth. Let the confident expectation of where you are going to spend eternity impact how you live in the present. So our connection to Jesus, our connection to his death, our connection to his resurrection, our connection to his ascension and to his second coming should bring newness. A new direction, a new mind, a new life, and a new hope. You know, the Bible tells us because we have accepted Jesus, we are a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, all things become new. That's what Jesus wants. I've come to bring life. I've come to bring newness of life. And I want you to live in this abundant life. Quit getting lied to and buying into the junk of the world and living for that. I have so much more, so much better for you. The old, let it die. You have something so much more than what Jesus has given you. Let's walk in it.